Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. And on our show today, we deal with mailing your dining invitations. We tackle wedding gift woes. Guests that show up too early. And the right way to handle buying rounds. All that plus a postscript from Laura Claridge's biography on Emily Post. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. And you had a late night last night, man. You were like... You were working late and then up early to come in and record this special session. What's going on? How was it? It was awesome. I was working late and yeah. it was one of those times where you slug through it at work and the rewards are reaped almost immediately. Oh. It was one of the most satisfying events I've had the pleasure of doing in a long time. Where where were you? Who were you working with? I was working with the Upward Bound organization hosted out of Johnson State College. Okay. And it's a, a volunteer. It's an academic challenge program for Vermont high school students in the summer who want to be going to college and they want to do pre-college prep work that's above and beyond whatever their school offers. Oh, awesome. It is. It's a remarkable program. These are go-getters. These are go-getters. They're self-selecting go-getters and they're good kids. They're Vermont high school students. And I was instantly thinking about last week's postscript and salute and intro where we were talking about kids and the next generation and what hope they can give us. <laughs> and I got to experience it firsthand. Really? They do this They do this thing that okay. they do. They 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 emphasize respect in their community. They emphasize respect and awareness of others. So this is one of their, their foundational values propositions, and it aligns so clearly and well with our principles framework of consideration, respect, and honesty. And whenever the group is together, when they want to bring their attention, they all, uh, whoever whoever's trying to lead the group puts their, their two fingers up in the air like a peace sign. And it's their value proposition. And it means we're going to give that person full value. We're going to listen to them. And we're going to give them our full attention because that's showing respect. And when you show respect for others, you show respect for yourself. And so right off the bat, right from the very beginning, this large audience, 100, nearly 100 high school students file into a large hotel ballroom and the tables are set beautifully. It's an etiquette dining experience for these students. And it's boisterous. It's loud. It's hot. They're coming off buses and they they look great. They've dressed up for the occasion. They've put on... 
jackets and ties and button-down shirts. Oh, they really dressed up. They really do. They make an effort. And it was hard. They got out late. They had to go get changed and get on these hot buses and travel almost an hour to get to the center where they host the dinner. And there's a certain buzz in the air as they all come through the door and as they sit at their tables and there's chatter and you can hear that soft clinking of Mm -hmm, silver mm -hmm. and glasses as people arrive at the table. And as soon as the, the value proposition began, as soon as the fingers went up in the air, I had such immediate attention from everyone in the room. You could hear a pin drop. I didn't need a microphone in a dining etiquette presentation. That's unheard of. With close to 100 people. These students were, they were models of behavior in terms of the way they gave attention, the way they received information, the feedback, the questions, the participation. It was really remarkable. I, I left... Later than expected, just feeling <laughs> charged and and ready to come in today and share the experience with everyone. Oh, so. that's so great. I fully admit that yesterday I was saying to Dan as I left the office, like, go, go get him, Tiger, because I know this is going to be tough. I know it's mm-hmm. going to be tough to be working late and then up early to record a, a second recording this week. And it was it was so great to hear just to see you look revived, rejuvenated, alive. You don't look tired. You don't look grumpy. You're like, it's so cool that that was the experience you had all because these kids knew how to pay attention and knew how to be and they they came to play they came ready to participate and that's such an amazing feat for a hundred high schoolers i felt it feeding me oh that's awesome that is awesome well how about i feed you some questions (laughs) let's (laughs) do it it looks all right but what am i supposed to do that's the question on every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave a message at 802 866 0860. Our first question is called This Round's On Me. Hi, Daniel and Lizzie. My husband and his buddies go out every weekend to play golf. When the drink cart comes around, someone will buy beers for the group. One of the players will happily accept a beer every time someone offers, but when it's his turn to buy, he walks away from the cart or says he's not going to drink anymore. He will not reciprocate. Then, when they go into the clubhouse after the round to enjoy some golf talk and another beer, this guy says he will have water and still doesn't buy a drink for anyone else. Meanwhile, he has had three free beers on the tab of others. We are convinced that this is an intentional behavior. Going forward, what would be the best way to handle this golf glutton's actions? Thanks, Golfing Granny. Well, I might not go so far as to call the person a glutton right off the bat. This clearly is, like, not reciprocating behavior. I agree. Do you agree with that? I mean, he's not... I know, and the, the, the detail that got me was three drinks. Three drinks on when someone else. received yeah. that much and generosity from others. You play golf others. and foursomes, so it's kind of noticed. It's not like a fivesome or a sixsome where all of a sudden three of the guys haven't bought drinks and three of them have, you know, and you've got safety in numbers. That being said, um, he may feel obligated when somebody offers him a drink to to accept it. He might feel an obligation there because accepting someone's generosity, you wouldn't want to turn it down, although it'd be perfectly polite to do so. Um, I, I agree that I think this guy should be reciprocating in some way, but I also think you have to be really careful about placing judgment on how other people manage their money and their offerings with their money. Now, we're talking about golf. I'm not sure if this is a member's country club or if it's, you know, just a public course or something like that. What I'm trying to get at is you can't just assume that the guy has money. 
-hmm. You know, even just because he's a member of even an expensive country club, you don't know how that membership has come about. You don't know what his monthly finances are. That's really something that you don't put judgment on. So if this guy is not buying rounds for other people and this is really starting to bother the group, but the group loves the guy and doesn't want to kick him out of the golf group, I'm thinking that one of two things needs to be the focus. Um, either you need to stop buying rounds together, which I know is kind of a, it's a dude thing on the golf course. Like you just, you do it. Like we, uh, us, my, my group of friends were not quite as I'll buy a round for all you and then I'll buy. And the next thing we know, we've all had six drinks. It's not the way we kind of operate, but I know that the guys that I golf with all do this. They, mm-hmm. uh, someone buys a round and then the cart comes around again and someone else. And then at, you know, the turn stand, someone else buys a round and it's, it's very reciprocal. So you could stop buying rounds. That is an option, even though it doesn't really seem to fit the culture. But you could also just not worry about it, too. My question is, is because these rounds aren't all being bought by the same person, it means one person is buying a beer for this guy each time. And I know that I um, definitely go through times where the purse strings are a little tighter. And I have generously had some of my friends say, hey, like they've noticed that I'm abstaining from grabbing a drink from that golf cart. They say, Lizzie, I'll get you a drink if you'd like a drink. And I say, no, I'm all set. Or sometimes I'll engage and say, that's such a wonderful offer. Thank you so much. It's not something I do for myself right now, but it's really nice that you wanted to grab me a drink. I really like that spirit. I, I, I'm keying on that word generosity, yeah. that when, when someone offers to buy a round or offers to treat someone to a meal, that, that there is a real generosity that's communicated there. And and that's why that gesture can feel so good if you're on the receiving end of it. And that gesture's not there to receive a drink. in the. It's not a buy-in for a future drink. It's not. And that's really where I would keep the focus. We often talk about etiquette being more powerful as a tool for self-assessment than it is a as a tool for judging others. And if if I was the person receiving in this situation, my self-assessment would say, you know, think about ways to reciprocate. And maybe I'm not a drinker. For me, I, I drink very rarely. And, and one drink is really my limit. That's yeah. as much as I'm going to be comfortable with. If someone's treated to a round, that's about it. But there might be other ways to reciprocate. So that's my etiquette advice for myself as a receiver. But when I'm on the giving end here, or when I'm thinking about it from that perspective, I really like your your focus on that generosity. And that's where you want to keep the focus because that's where you're going to find the heart of your own good etiquette in the situation. So in other words, don't worry so much about the fact that it's not coming back to you. Decide whether it's a generosity you're going to extend in the future or not. Absolutely. Golfing Granny, we hope that that helps a little bit and offers a little bit of outside perspective on what I totally understand can be something that starts to feel frustrating and annoying after a while. But mostly, hit them long and hit them straight. Four. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. 
What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is titled, Mom's the Word. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, as my brother's wedding date draws closer, I have a question I could really use your help with. There are three women in our lives that we would consider our mothers. I'm assuming she's talking about her and her brother. Our biological mother, who passed away about 10 years ago. Our dad's ex-girlfriend, Kelly. She helped raise us. We lived with her and our dad during our childhood for about eight years, and she's been there for us our whole adult lives. We call her mom and think of her as a mother. And now our dad's new fiance, Shelly. We think the world of her and love her as well, but they've only been together for about three years. So we have mom who passed, stepmom number one, who's very much so like a, a mother. Um, they call her mother. And then we have stepmom number two, who they love and adore as well, but she's very new to their lives. Background. Last summer, my brother had a get-together where he invited both Kelly, the ex-girlfriend who raised us, and Shelly, the new fiance. The two had never met before, and Shelly wasn't aware of our relationship with Kelly at all. Needless to say, there was a very awkward encounter when Shelly asked Kelly who she was, to which she replied, I'm the kid's mother. I'd like to avoid another awkward moment as the bridal shower and wedding are coming up in the next few weeks, and this means that the two will be, again be at the same event. We love them both very much and want them to be comfortable and have fun at these events. Is there a way I can make things less awkward and have it so my brother and I don't appear to be choosing sides? Amber. Amber, thank you for your question. And let's start off by wishing your brother well and congratulations on <laughs> totally. his coming nuptials. Yay, and, weddings. <laughs> um, it's really nice to have the support, to have the support of family when you're making those plans. And it's really nice that you're you're clearly involved and involved in a way that's going to be helpful, that you're, you're really thinking about significant relationships in everyone's lives and how to manage and handle this situation that might develop as as well um, as you possibly can. Well, what I love this this situation, just so you know, Amber, starts out with success because you've got two awesome stepmoms like that's really cool. Like just in and of itself, like we're in a good place. We're coming in from a good place. Yeah. In some ways, we, we, we should all be so fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, the point of etiquette here is that uh, usually when someone receives a, an invitation, their acceptance isn't dependent upon who else is attending. And particularly when it's an invitation to a wedding or a bridal shower, these are, are really significant events. And someone's going to decide whether or not to go 
based on on their connection to the person who's who's being honored or whose wedding it is. And that's really where the focus is meant to stay. And that's the point of etiquette that I really want to key on here. It's it's never your obligation or duty as a host to explain the rest of your guest list to an invitee. And so from there, we can work out and say that, that it can feel like it would be the considerate thing, the responsible thing to, in this case, warn or talk or prepare someone. But it's it's not necessary. It's not the primary concern here. The thing that strikes me about this is, sure, that clearly the, oh, I'm the kid's mother, that's an awkward moment. I mean, the fact that Shelly didn't know who Kelly was, that's definitely an awkward bump. Oof. That was a misstep. <laughs> My question, though, is... After that, what happened? Is there, you know, are there tons of bad conversation? Oh, I can't believe she didn't know about, I can't believe your father didn't tell her, or this, that, or the other thing. Is that going on? Or was it, whoops, okay, well, now we know, glad the kids have you in their lives, like, kind of a thing. And if it's the latter, then I think you really have nothing to worry about, and you have nothing to manage. And Frankly, I think you come to these kinds of situations, especially when they're really big life events. So this is a big life event for your brother. Both these women are going to want to be there for him. If there is any bad blood from that first interaction, my guess is they're both mature enough and and mom enough to your brother and you that they're just going to put it aside and they're just going to enjoy celebrating during this time all the family events. And that is the sort of the next level good advice, which is that... Life is going to be filled with potential little awkwardnesses and how we handle those, how we navigate them. We often say on the show says as much about us as how we handle our successes. And um, this is a a situation where the focus really is going to stay on your brother and the two hopefully incredible moms in this situation are really going to do their best to keep the focus and attention there where it belongs. So there you have it, Amber. You don't have to do anything differently. I would just make sure that you and your brother spend time with both of these stepmoms in your life during the party. Just make sure that you pay kind of equal attention to them and appreciate them and thank them for coming. Our next question is about early birds who don't get worms. Or, no, they kind of get worms, but they don't get worms. Are worms they, good or bad? I don't know. Worms. Well, <laughs> if you're a bird, a worm is good. So these are early birds who get worms, but they're making the host squirm. <laughs> Let's just read the question. <laughs> Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I recently had a barbecue for July 4th. It was a big success, and my husband and I were happy to have our friends and family come and celebrate with us, especially since it was our first big party since moving into a new house. However, I found myself a bit annoyed when a number of people arrived extremely early, in some cases as early as five hours before the official start time. Nuh-uh. That's what it says. I was still in my house clothes and hadn't gotten ready yet as I was literally still vacuuming when the first early bird arrived. Not only was it embarrassing to have my guests see me in that state, but it was also extremely distracting as I had to begin entertaining when I was still in preparation mode. We live in a rural area where there aren't too many distracting activities to send people off to. We love hosting and certainly plan on having more parties and get-togethers in the future. But is there a polite way to indicate to guests to not arrive early? Or how can I deal with such early arrivals without appearing rude or visibly annoyed? Sincerely, prefers punctuality, not prematurity. (laughs) I like the not prematurity part of that. Five hours I know, right? Pause for a moment. I mean, I understand. 
understand like someone shows up an hour early. They got the time wrong. Six instead of seven. Whoops. Five hours early? They must have thought it was an all-day housewarming open house. That's the only uh, interpretation that seems reasonable to me. So, okay, my this is where I think I start to hit. I don't know. You tell me whether you think it's practical over polite or whether it's practical and polite. But I would do one of two things. Mm -hmm. First of all, I would let them know. I would say, oh, my gosh, the party doesn't start until 5 o'clock. I'm so sorry. I wasn't expecting you right now. I would say something to acknowledge that you are not ready to have guests yet. I think that's perfectly reasonable, particularly with the tone that you just expressed it in, which was surprise and not grievance or annoyance. Okay. So secondly, I th- this is where I would do one of two things, and it would depend on who the guest was. And I would either say something like, I still have to get the house ready and cook the food and take a shower and do the shopping and do everything I have to do. But I would love to set you up by the pool or on the back porch or in the living room or over here or over there. And I can, you know, give you books if you need books or something, you know, find something. We have games. We have anything. But I do, unfortunately, have to have to keep cleaning and prepping for the party. You know, would that be all right with you or does that sound good to you? So that would be one. The other thing I would do and the thing that I think I'd be more inclined to do because I know my friends would be okay with this is that I would say, Oh, my gosh. Well, I could so use your help, and I would put them to work like helping it. you get the party ready. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they kind of become co-hosts, and you're like, you guys are here. There's, you know, as she said, we live in a rural area. There's not a lot to do. You know, you can even say, there's not a lot to do, but if you want to help me prep for the party, I would love mm-hmm. your help. I would so appreciate it. Remember, these people have just put you out. They have quite literally just broken a rule of etiquette by hours. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's it's kind of where it's okay to invite them to help and join in rather than make them feel like, oh, well, now she has to entertain us because we're her guests. And I think Mm -hmm. most people, I think, would fall into that. We would love what can we do to help you? We didn't realize this would be a problem. What can we do to help? I think both of those answers make a lot of sense to me. The request for help makes Mm -hmm. sense as a guest. We talk about the host guest dance. Be prepared to offer to help, to have that offer be accepted. Yep. Sometimes it's more work to organize someone else's work than it is to do it yourself. (laughs) So I also think your first answer is an entirely reasonable option. You can, and I I like the language that you used where um, you excused yourself as a host, acknowledged Mm -hmm. that there were still some things you needed to do, that you weren't prepared to entertain or host yet. (laughs) And those, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, but just I apologize, I'm, I'm not prepared at the moment. And just that minor, it doesn't need to be a big deal. You're not falling on your on your sword, sword. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're really just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I can't give you my full attention right now, even though you're at my door yeah. on the day of a party. And it's because I have more guests coming. I need to prepare. I need a certain respect for the other people that are coming requires some things of me. And for me, what I think the difference is, is know your friends. If your friend is the type of person who, who yes, did just make a big error in showing up five five hours early. But if they're the type of person who would feel more aggrieved by being asked to help, set them up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over in a, not a corner, but, you know, an area of the house that you don't need to clean and get ready and all of that and and see if you can quasi host them while still excusing yourself to handle the work. There is yeah. a, a way that you're, you're saying, you know, I can't give you the, the full f- treatment. I can't give you my my tens hosting, but I can I can put together two, three, four. Yeah. And I can get a place for you to sit in a, a quiet spot on the porch with a book or I, I can put a TV remote in your hand, something <laughs> that, that yeah. I would jump back to a point of etiquette that came up last night when I was talking Please. to those that wonderful audience of high schoolers, we were talking about prepping for all kinds of important events, dinners or interviews. And when you're really focused on punctuality, on being there on time, sometimes you can start to drift a little early. You can start to be a little overprepared. Yes. And we were talking about what would be too early. And we're saying punctuality is really important. But more than five or ten minutes early at the most really starts to to raise the possibility or potential that you're going to be a burden on your host, that you're going to catch them unprepared or unaware. So it's definitely a concept to embrace punctuality, but you don't necessarily want to overdo it. Well, and remember, punctuality is being on time, not being early and not being late. It's on time. But yeah, I like that this gives you options depending on who the host, who the guests are. And and. You know, I'm going to just before we yeah. conclude here, jump back to the very first thing I said, which is you, you've just got to assume your the reasonableness and the good intention of your guest. I'm going to assume that this was the kind of mistake where someone didn't really think, oh, I've been invited to a party. I can show up five hours early that it, they must have thought it was an open house. They must have. And, and I think you have to go there in your head. The first thought can't yeah. be, I can't believe these people think that they're entitled to do this because they probably don't. The vast majority of rude behavior is unintentional. There was probably a mistake on their end. So not pointing that out, not making them feel bad about it also becomes part of your role as a good host in that moment. Prefers punctuality, not prematurity. We completely understand your frustration with this, and we have quite a lot of faith from your letter that you actually probably handled this with a lot of grace and poise, and kudos to you because that is not easy when you are vacuuming and not ready and in your house clothes and not thinking, oh, I'm going to entertain right now. So uh, good for you, but we hope that our advice helps in the future should this ever happen again. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is titled Wedding Gift Woes. I feel like there are probably a lot of questions we've titled that. (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Dan. A month after my wedding, a guest who hadn't given us a gift was over at our apartment during a party. She noticed a stack of thank you cards on a desk and complained to my husband that she hadn't gotten one. What do you do when truthfully answering a question brings up someone else's misstep? For the record, I think my husband told her that we hadn't finished the thank yous yet. Best Claire. 
Probably actually a good line that he gave her. Yeah, I was just going to say, Claire, I think you're uh, fortunate. Your husband found a benevolent, a kind truth there that worked really well in this situation. And you've definitely identified the the heart of good etiquette, which is not pointing out someone else's mistake or faux pas. Um, I think the solution here is really simple. It's really clear. You send them a thank you and you thank them for attending and for celebrating with you and being part of a very special day. There's a, a, a very easy wedding thank you that can be sent to anyone, whether they brought a gift to the wedding or not. And that would be the appropriate response in this situation. No, Dan, you're absolutely right. You can always thank someone for attending. So what your husband said about, well, we haven't finished our thank yous yet. And clearly you haven't. The stack is on the desk. You haven't finished them yet. I think it's perfectly appropriate to say we haven't finished them yet. And then you send her the note that thanks her for attending. And then if she has sent you a gift and somehow it did get lost in the mail, she's going to say, wait a second, why didn't they thank me for the gift? And that might prompt her to say, hey, I was just curious, did you receive that blender that I sent you? And then any any awkwardness can kind of come bubble up and you can figure out where this missing gift is or... She can understand that she's receiving a thank you for having attended a wedding, and that's it. So, I think it's sorry. I'm still going to go back. Like to this is the, the guests in this case, guests on this show, showing up five hours early, complaining about not having received thank you notes. Who does that? <laughs> I was I was going to not notice that part of the question. No, like really, who walks up to a bride and groom? Hey, I haven't received a thank you note yet. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Okay. (laughs) Claire, we really hope that this helps and that you find completing the rest of your thank you notes an easy and enjoyable task and that you aren't questioned about it in the future. Our next question is called The Dining Damsel. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just moved into my first solo apartment and would like to invite people to dinner with physical invitations instead of over Facebook, email, or text. I know I enjoy it when I get actual mail and want to share the feeling with my friends. However, it is easier to schedule events with technology than with an invitation. Since I'm inviting very few people, one to three at a time, and it is more of an open invitation to come visit me sometime during the month when we are both available, I'm not sure how to phrase or write the invitation. I don't want to hem them into a certain time and date without knowing their availability. However, I would also like to know when they are coming and if they have any particular dietary preferences. I have many vegetarian and vegan friends in my circle. Or if they want to bring something to the dinner or if they have any other concerns. Do you have any recommendations on how to execute this? With all my best regards, the Dining Damsel, a.k.a. Rebecca. Oh, Dining Damsel. I think my first suggestion is going to be that you not send open-ended invites uh, via mail. I think that actually for this, for the type, it's, I think an open-ended invite via mail is the kind of thing you send when you're saying, please feel free to come visit us this summer. Um, and then, oh, I like that. yeah, then someone can come and take you up on the dates, but for, and for a dinner invitation, you really, that's a smaller event, especially as you're indicating with one to three people, um, you really want to actually be specific. And I think what you're feeling is the risk you take yep. in being specific via a mode of communication that is slow. And so you're used to being able to just shoot a text, make a phone call, set up a Facebook you know, invite or event. And you get responses very quickly um, to those things. And it's very easy to say, oh, we can't do Friday night, but we could do Saturday night. The back and forth happens very quickly. And the next thing you know, you have a date and that's great. However, 
the trouble comes when you it takes three days for that invitation to get somewhere. And then they're thinking, well, do I have to respond by letter or do I send her a text or what do I do? So my advice would be bite the bullet and either just send the invite with a date and time and hope that one of these three people can make it. Take a chance. Take a chance. You could increase your guest list so that there's more of a chance that you're going to mm-hmm. get four or five guests on the same night if you send it to 10 people. Assume some no's. Right. And then I would say the other thing that you could do is that you could pre-vet them for a night. You could text Mm -hmm. them and say, hey, thinking of doing a dinner this night, are you available that week or are you out of town? And then send the actual invite once you kind of pre-know and the invite kind of becomes not as special because they kind of they don't know it's coming but it comes and it's maybe yeah. it's not a surprise you know but it's still special because it's got that quality that that physical quality and it was sent through the mail i had one question i liked all those ideas would you give any direction on an rsvp would you maybe if you had a, a, a an invitation that you sent through the mail if you said rsvp but then included a, a phone number or a text D- yeah. direction you might accelerate that that you communication turnaround a little ab- bit well absolutely and the dinner invitation of course has an rsvp on it so it's easy to say please rsvp by xyz date and this gives us a, a real opportunity to emphasize the importance of the timely rsvp whatever the the mode or medium of communication but particularly when you're talking about something like snail mail which i know we call snail mail but it's not really that slow if you mail no, it it's a couple days in a town it's going to yeah. be there in a couple days exactly Dining Damsel, Lizzie and I are both so encouraged by your regard for uh, old school communication, the significance of a, a handwritten note or letter or invitation, and also your desire to be a good host and to, to bring people together in your new space. We know that these dinners are going to be a smashing success with how much you're thinking about them ahead of time. Best of luck. Keep it up. Let us know how it goes. Thank you so much for sending us your questions. You can send your next question or update or comment on something that we've covered in the show to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860 or on Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag awesomeetiquette. Time for our Postscript segment, and today Lizzie's going to share a little something from the introduction of Emily Post's bio by Laura Claridge. I love this bio because it was done independently, so our family actually wasn't a part of it. We were, of course, interviewed at times for it, but we, we this is independent, and I love the fact that it is, and I love getting to have so much of Emily's history, her personal history, right here at our fingertips As a family, it was really a great gift that Laura Claridge wound up giving to us, even though she was writing the book for everyone to to know more about Emily. It's called uh, Emily Post, Daughter of the Gilded Age, Mistress of American Manners. And it is um, it's a beautiful book. And the introduction struck me as just so all inclusive. I loved kind of everything that it brought up. So we wanted to take a moment and share that with you today. 
Emily Post entered the world only seven years after America's Civil War ended. Though most of her family sided with the Union, a few renegade relatives fought with the South, the staunch loyalists who survived spinning heroic stories of General Lee and his horse traveler throughout their lives. At the time of Emily's birth in Baltimore, women were being jailed for promoting birth control for married couples. When she died in New York City, women and men, married or not, were campaigning for legalized abortion. A few years before her funeral, befuddled but fascinated even now by the latest technology that celebrated the ingenuity of the age, she would watch on television the launch of Sputnik. She witnessed Reconstruction and Jim Crow, as well as the emergence of Martin Luther King. Her youth was shaped by the high Victorian era, cosseted by the Gilded Age, and then tossed about in the restless years culminating in World War I. Through the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, World War II, and its domestic aftermath, all revolutions of a sort, Emily Post's etiquette in society, in business, in politics, and at home, magisterial, impatient, collegial, and neighborly, would outlast the ages it reflected and corrected. When it debuted in 1922, etiquette represented a 50-year-old woman at her wisest and a country at its wildest. The preternaturally confident author had her feet firmly planted in the jazz age, taking its thoughtful measure in her meticulous way. What Emily initially called her Little Blue Book debuted in a Manhattan society intrigued by the Algonquin's Round Table, where Harold Ross, editor of a new, quickly influential weekly, The New Yorker, held court with a whiskey in hand. Even as sales skyrocketed for Emily's Guide to the Good but Proper Life, the same decade would also nurture Dorothy Parker and Ernest Hemingway, Claudette Colbert and Clara Bow, George Gershwin and Louis Armstrong. Etiquette assumed its position within the heady cultural milieu of the 1920s, shaped by the era of its birth even while modifying it. At its broadest, etiquette, the measure of how we treat one another, reaches across class, race, gender, and culture. For many women particularly, and through their transmission to their sons and husbands, etiquette long fashioned our country's idea and ideal of what it was to pursue a gracious, possibly even a moral, life. Attention to behavior, after all, preoccupied the founders of our nation. 16-year-old George Washington had written his pamphlet, Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation, a book of etiquette, believing that everything he already knew about getting on in life was worth sharing with others. Though never a head of state, Emily Post didn't lack for recognition. In 1976 and again in 1990, Life magazine would laud her as one of the most important Americans of the 20th century. Etiquette, by the 1930s, having sold over a million copies, would continue to be touted in the most unlikely moments and places. The list of extravagant citations the book has received in the past few years alone includes admirers as disparate as P.J. O'Rourke, reminiscing about learning how to fit into society through Emily's book, Joan Didion using etiquette to confront her grief over her spouse's death, and Tim Page, a Washington Post music critic, discovering that etiquette could help him cope with Asperger's syndrome. In 1934, more than a decade after etiquette's publication, Ruth Benedict, on the first page of her groundbreaking work, Patterns of Culture, would state that anthropology is the study of human beings as creatures of society. Lacking the intellectual 
intellectual tools to articulate her own cultural philosophy, Emily Post nonetheless worked instinctively from a similar model. While Benedict was exploring customs far from her native shores, Emily was a domestic anthropologist, plumbing the homegrown soil for its indigenous fertility. She assumed early on that change was endemic to humanity and that the human task was to adapt to it, preserving the best of what came before and integrating what superseded the past. Emily Post's life and work would have been inconceivable without the story of Ellis Island and the millions of immigrants who sought to become what they considered real Americans during Emily's lifetime. Between her engagement party in 1891 and the 12th printing of Etiquette in 1924, Ellis Island was terra firma for more than 22 million immigrants. As a little girl, she was granted a singular privilege. While a family friend constructed its base, the Statue of Liberty functioned as her personal dollhouse, allowing the child to play inside its hollow core for weeks. When the statue was completely finished, her beloved father shared the dais with a select group helping to dedicate Miss Liberty to the American people, especially to those future citizens streaming through the immigration corrals. Such mythical moments braid competing truths about Emily Post and the country she increasingly grew to understand and to appreciate on its own messy terms. Hers was a staggeringly ambitious hodgepodge of a nation that offered liberty and justice to all, but a justice whose blindness for all its noble intentions required continual redress. How could the promise that etiquette bestows be maintained throughout the 20th century? How, in the face of massive human and natural evils, could Americans believe that considerate social intercourse remained a significant issue? That politeness mattered. If misleadingly superficial at first glance, however, the lady's solution holds up after all. Emily Post was not alone in maintaining that the art of treating people well is the other side to the act of waging war. Thank you, Laura Claridge. I love, though, how it shows that Emily's Emily's sort of reign as America's uh, queen of etiquette really did span such turbulent times and such growth. We talk on this show all the time about how it's a new world today and all this technology and all of this change. And think about the change that she lived through. I mean, from the Civil War having just ended when she was born until the 1960s when she died. That is an incredible span of time with such change and growth and attitude change. I mean... It really is so remarkable. Emily was present for the dawn or the advent of modernity and is really one of the central figures that helped bridge that gap between that Victorian age and what we think of as the modern era. And that's a change that's as dramatic as any that I could really imagine. And what's incredible is that she and I think it's why we are here today talking about etiquette is that she kept everything focused on, you've heard us say it, consideration, respect, and honesty, and practicality. What makes sense for today's day and age? What's the attitude? What's the norm? What makes us comfortable? And that's just, it's amazing. 
Thank you, Laura Claridge, for that incredible reminder of what an amazing life Emily Post lived and all that transpired in the course of that time. It's so easy for us to get down into the minutia and the details of dinner forks and introductions. And it's really important, I think, to remember some of the larger things that Emily was dealing with even in her own lifetime and that her etiquette really hopefully equips all of us to deal with in ours. We look forward to bringing you more from Laura Claridge's book in the future. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. Each week, we like to end with a listener salute to good etiquette. Today, we have Amanda, who wants to salute some exceptional service. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My name's Amanda Darby, and um, I have an etiquette salute. I was out this weekend for dinner with my boyfriend, and um, the drink I ordered was kind of a dealer's choice thing where you got to pick the alcohol you wanted as well as two different flavors, and the bartender could just make something up. And I said I wanted rum with strawberry and mint. And what the waiter brought me was rum with blood orange and cardamom. And he said, you know, the bartender improvised because he didn't have the flavors you wanted. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll try this. This is interesting sounding. Um, and I really, I did not find it to my liking. And I let the waiter know. And he was so gracious about it. He, he took it right back. He said he understood. And the bar should have checked with him before they made me this drink that I had ordered. He was just very polite and very understanding. And at the end of the meal, that drink was still on our bill which he noticed, and he was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I meant to take that off. Let me get that taken care of for you. I always feel kind of awkward about sending things back in a restaurant, but um, the way that he handled it just made me feel very comfortable and at home in the restaurant. I don't know if he listens to this, but if he does, um, I want to say that we really appreciated it. Amanda, we are so glad that, A, you had the confidence to send something back and that that is an okay thing to do, especially when it really wasn't something to your liking, but that it also was such an easy thing for the restaurant to accept, that you weren't given any trouble over it or any hassle over it or even the hint of a sigh or something. It's so nice when people can truly be genuinely accommodating. That service with a smile means so much. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your questions or comments or salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can leave us a message on our voicemail 802-866-0860 on Twitter I'm at Lizzie A. Post and I'm at Daniel underscore Post on Facebook we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute help us out subscribe on iTunes and please if you feel inspired leave us a review our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner and our show is produced by Hans Butow 